Bridgewater. <clears throat> if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here. We are so glad that you are here with us this morning. In 333 B.C., Alexander the Great marched his Macedonian army into Gordium, the capital of Phrygia. And there he found a wagon, and tied to its yoke was what a Roman historian described as several knots all entangled together, with no way to identify where it all was fastened. And according to tradition, the wagon belonged to Gordius, the father of King Midas, and an ancient oracle described that any man who was able to untangle this knot would then become the ruler of all of Asia. It was a knot that looked a lot like this. A Gordian knot which was extremely difficult, almost impossible. In fact, Alexander took several attempts at untangling this knot and eventually, with no luck at all, he kind of got frustrated. So he decided a different approach. He took his sword out and he cut that knot right in half. Now, if you know anything about history, you know that Alexander the Great went to go undefeated in battle. And he would become the king of Persia, the pharaoh of Egypt, and the ruler of Asia. Yet it was cutting the Gordian knot that he would consider to be his greatest accomplishment. Here's the irony. Alexander the Great died at age 32. And now, I can't prove this, but there's a bunch of conspiracy theories surrounding his death. But many historians believe that alcoholism contributed to his demise. Here's what I'm getting at. He once killed a general <clears throat> in a drunken rage, and he also contributed to a, a drunken party that 41 people died of alcohol poisoning. Here's what I'm getting at. Alexander the Great conquered the entire ancient world from Greece to India, but he couldn't conquer himself. And you know, that's not far from what's true of us today. There are so many people out there who are just crushing it professionally. Their resume looks impeccable on LinkedIn, but inside they are fighting a losing battle to addictions. We kind of know what that feels like, doesn't it? To some degree, we have an idea because we all know what it's like to, to have a temptation or a habit continue to show up over and over and over again, just kind of keep pulling at us. So the question is, what do we do with that? There are no shortcuts. There are no hacks. There are no cheat codes to overcoming addictions. It's like the journey of a thousand miles it begins with one step at a time. And so if you're here this morning and that sounds like you, or if you're here and you know somebody that's struggling and you want to take that next step or you want to help them take that next step, then grab your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, turn there now. While you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of the background. See, Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul is building this argument that we are extremely sinful and bad. He says, there is none righteous, not even one. 
Then chapters 3, 4, and 5, he builds the argument that, you know what, you don't get right with God by doing good things. You don't get right with God by um, all, the, all the laws that you keep. You become right with God through faith. And then in chapter 6, he says, look, when Christ died, you died. When Christ rose, you rose. He says, for sin will not have dominion over you because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. And then just when you think you've arrived, you hit Romans 7 and Paul says, look, we all struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin. There's, there's a battle, there's a war going on inside of us, inside each and every one of us. There's a, a Gordian knot that needs to be untangled. For some of us, it is an addiction. It might be an addiction to alcohol, prescription pills, food, cutting, gambling, or work, or maybe something more socially acceptable like social media. And I'm not saying all of those are equal. We know that some of those have far greater consequences that are more damaging than others. But in each and every one of us, we know what it's like to have that pull to do something that we know we probably shouldn't or that habit we just can't kick. Ed Welch says, addiction is the bondage to the rule of a substance, activity, state of mind, which then becomes the center of life, defending itself from the truth so that even when bad consequences don't bring repentance and leading to the future estrangement from God. By the way, that's one of the best books I've ever read on addictions by Ed Welch. If there's anything in your life that begins to control you or consume you and becomes the center of your life, that's an addiction. An addict is someone whose life is controlled by something else. Romans chapter 7, how do we find this victory? Let's start reading in verse 21. <clears throat> Here's what Paul says. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord so that I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Paul the one that planted so many churches the one that God used to write the majority of the New Testament says I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like to love Jesus. I know what it's like to love God's word and, and, and delight and find joy in that. But also, I know what it's like to have evil right there inside of me, tugging at me, pulling on me. This is what I know I should do, but this is what I want to do and that battle keeps going on inside of me. Maybe the best example I could give is gravity. 
imagine tomorrow morning I wake up, I'm getting ready for work, and I think, you know what, I'm kind of tired of this gravity thing. Like, instead of walking downstairs, I'm just going to open up my bedroom window and just jump out to my Jeep. People in my house would hear a loud thud, right? You can't just, like, deny gravity. You can't just say, okay, gravity off. I'm done with it. Gravity is like sin. It's magnetizing. It's just, it's pulling us in. And Paul says, it lives right there inside of me. Verse 23, he says, it's in my, my inner being. It's, it's the inner man that struggles and I want to do good, but I also want to do evil. And that's the core of addiction. He says, there's this, this sin that takes me captive. It makes me a prisoner. And there's things that will hook you. There's things that will hook me. Let me show you this next slide. Opioids. It's no surprise 92,000 people in 2021 died of opioids, meth, cocaine, heroin, but also 16,000 people died from all sorts of other drugs. There's a massive problem. This is why we're having the conversation, but get this, 140,000 people died of alcohol, 140,000 people. There is a crisis happening. Sin is so addictive. It promises one thing and delivers something completely different every single time. That's how sin works. It's enticing. It lures you in. It's seductive. Heavy drinkers drink not to glorify God or to love their neighbors, but they do it to indulge their own desires. It's always about the desires that live inside of us. Desires for pleasure, freedom from pain, maybe revenge. Maybe people drink at someone. Maybe to manage their emotions. Or maybe to keep their loneliness at bay. Ed Welch says, practice Repeated sin results in slavery, a multitude of painful consequences, and God abandoning people to their own desires so they are always left wanting more. That's what sin does. That's what Paul is saying. Evil is right there in front of me. It, it says, I want, I want, I want more. It never satisfies. It promises one thing and delivers something completely different. Ed goes on in his book, and he says, addictions are ultimately a disorder of worship. It's a wor worship disorder. That you have a desire, and you're worshiping something or someone else other than Jesus. We desire the things of earth more than the one who rules it. And so I'm not saying that drinking a beer or alcohol is wrong in and of itself. But when that substance begins to control you, you've begun to worship it. I'm not saying video games are wrong, but when you spend all your time playing video games and you're controlled by it, that has an addictive way of grabbing your heart. That's the same with anything. 
So Paul says, verse 23, but I see another law at work in me. It's waging war in my mind. Paul says, it's making me a prisoner of the law of sin. Have you felt like a prisoner? You felt enslaved by something that you know it's a habit. You wish you could kick it. You wish you could get rid of it. So how do we, how do we fight this war in our minds? Let me give you four practical ways. First, repent at the heart level. That it's something that's happening in my thoughts it's happening in my affections. I'm desiring this. I'm wanting this. But it's also happening in my actions. What does that look like? You need to shine a light on it. If you're struggling with sin, whether you would call it addiction or habit or whatever you'd call it, you need to expose it. Sin and black mold thrive in darkness. You need to, you need to let somebody in on that secret. You need to text somebody. You need to call somebody and say, look, I'm struggling with this. You need radical amputation. Jesus says, if my right hand causes me to sin, I should cut it off, get rid of it, throw it out, drain it down, move it out of the house. If it's technology, dumb down your phone. Get passwords on there. Get accountability. Say, hey, will you ask me how I'm doing? And then believe that the grace of God actually is available. That Jesus says, you are free. Third, put off the old and put on Christ. I've got to put off whatever that is that I'm battling with, and I've got to replace it with something else. I've got to renew my mind. I've got to start thinking differently about these desires. Then verse 24, he says, what a wretched man I am. I'm wretched. I'm miserable. Who's going to rescue me? The reality is Jesus has already come and he died on the cross to rescue you, to rescue me from our sins, from our addictions, from our habits. And so here's the first point I want you to get. You are not trapped. You're not as trapped as you feel. And I get it. Those habits, those addictions, they don't go down easy. You feel trapped. You feel stuck. And what Paul is saying is Jesus came to be your deliverer. He's already paid for that. He's already purchased you out of that. So many times we don't believe it. But verse 25, he says, thanks be to God who what? Who delivers me. How? How? Through Jesus. I'm not saying that there's another magical formula. There are no cheat codes. There are no shortcuts. There are no hacks. It will take one step at a time and another step and another step of believing that Jesus actually did deliver you, of putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and putting on Christ. We feel trapped. We feel hopeless. But the reality is you've been delivered. He died on the cross to deliver you. And he says, I'm thanking God. I'm not covering my sin. I'm not explaining it away. I'm not blaming it. I'm coming into the light. I'm exposing it, saying, I'm getting some people in my life. I need you to know about this. I need you to know about this. I need you to ask me about this. I'm done living in darkness. 
expose it. Shine that light on it. Come into the light. Sin and addiction thrive in darkness. But I want to share the good news. Look at Romans 8. This is an amazing passage. Therefore, right? Therefore, in light of everything that Paul has just said, there is now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you put your faith in Christ and you've decided to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he looks at you. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no more punishment. Jesus already paid for that. There is no condemnation. Verse 2, why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has what? Set you free from the law of sin and death. For, let me explain more, what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering for you, for me. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Jesus already paid for your sins, for your addictions, for your habits. Freedom is available. Verse five, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life in peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. There's no punishment. There's no guilt. There's no shame. I'll tell you, those are some of the biggest things. Those are some of the biggest hurdles that hold us back from following Jesus we feel that guilt. We feel that shame. We feel just totally embarrassed. What if somebody else knows? What will they think of me? And we're ashamed to tell anybody. I'll tell you, when God looks at you, he sees you as his son and his daughter, and there's no condemnation. We're all in the same boat together. We're following Jesus. We're brothers and we're sisters in Christ. Maybe I don't know what it's like to struggle to the same degree that you do. Maybe I'm not hooked by the same things you're hooked by. But the reality is, Paul says it, I want to do this, but there's evil that I also want. You are righteous and justified before God. Here's the second point. You're not defined by your darkest moments, but by Jesus' darkest moments. Jesus died on the cross and he paid for your sins, for your habits, for all of those addictions. That's what defines you. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see my record and your record and all the bad things that we did. He sees the perfect, blameless record of Jesus. You're not defined by your failures, your sins, your habits, your shame, you're only defined by what Jesus has done 
for you. In the same spirit, Jesus, who rose from the grave, conquered death, conquered sin, conquered everything, that same spirit lives inside of us. So when Christ rose, you rose. When Christ gained victory over sin, you have victory over sin. Jesus is so powerful. He's more powerful than any sin, any addiction, period. Your addiction is not stronger than Jesus. Your habit, the alcohol, is not stronger than Jesus. Oxy is not stronger than Jesus. Heroin is not stronger than Jesus. Your temptation is not stronger than Jesus. And I need to continually remind myself over and over and over again. When you feel that temptation pulling on your heart, you need to shine a light on it. Phone a friend, text somebody, and get on your knees and and pray and talk to Jesus Because you can sit there and pray, and eventually that temptation will go away. No temptation has lasted forever. You don't have to give in to it. You don't have to say yes. Shine a light on it. Expose it. Remind yourself of what is true. Nope, this is not powerful. Nope, this is not stronger. Then verse 9, Paul says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, did you get that? If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives you life because of righteousness. You are not condemned. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you're not condemned. If you've put your faith in Christ, you belong to God. You are his son, you're his daughter, and he is the spirit that gives you life. I'm going to go over to jump over to John 3:16. John 3:16 and 17 this is probably a familiar verse to you. You're not condemned. Here's what John says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That in Christ there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. You have been set free. You can be free from that habit, from that sin, from that addiction. Jesus didn't come to condemn you of your sin or your addictions or your habits or your failures. He came to set you free. Condemnation is so often fueled by guilt, which leads to more shame But conviction is fueled by love that leads to repentance and freedom. We've been talking a lot about what God's word says about freedom. But I want to show you what that looks like. There's a testimony we're going to play in just a minute of a guy named Terry. 
I just want you to hear what his story is. I was born in Philadelphia to loving parents. My dad, around, around the age of five, decided to, to move out, up into the country, so he bought a small 80-acre farm outside of Springville. And the following year, my parents uh, sent my brother and I back down to Philadelphia to stay with friends. Somehow I was selected to share a bedroom with the older teenage boy. And it was during that period of time that I was sexually abused. And when I returned home after that week, uh, I was really confused, angry. There was shame, guilt. I had no idea how to share what had taken place. But the anger um, just continued to really grow inside of me. I was angry at my parents because, you know, they were supposed to watch over me and protect me. I became a very difficult child who was hard to control. My parents drank, so I, I figured at a very young age I could sneak uh, liquor and beer from, from my parents without them even knowing it. And I started smoking pot around 11. And uh, I realized that by doing that, I could stay numb. But my life really became about living lies. My drug use continued and I decided to join the Air Force. Uh, I, I joined just to escape my life and how it was. And before I went overseas, I took a 30-day leave of absence. And it was during this period of time in my life that I was introduced to the needle and crystal meth. Probably that decision there was one that really sent my life into spirals. And I traveled throughout Europe. Uh, I was still using but everything was in control at this point in my life. I met my first wife, Lori. I fell in love with her and we got married. Uh, she knew I was using and it didn't take long before she started using. My tour was up, I was honorably discharged. She still had a year and a half left, had orders for Mountain Home, Idaho, where I contacted someone in Idaho to see if there was speed there. And I was told no, and I made the choice of I was gonna walk away from my marriage for a, a bag of speed and a needle. And it didn't take long before I became very ill. I was suffering from hepatitis. And the doctor told me that if I didn't give up my lifestyle, um, I wouldn't be around long. So I had to give up the alcohol and the drugs, the hard drugs. I continued to smoke pot, went back to work, and uh, I maintained that way for probably a good year or so, and then I got slowly back into drinking and the harder drugs. I always uh, figured that my life would end due to accidental suicide, I would call it. Um, drinking, I would leave the bar and I couldn't even hardly walk, and I would drive well over 100 miles an hour and figured if I lost control, my life would be over. My personal life was totally a train wreck. My niece hooked me up on a blind date, and that was with Laura, my wife now. We hit it off, and uh, we got married. She had two wonderful boys. Uh, things were going good as far as, you know, the outward appearance, but inside, uh, 
you know, dealing with kids, uh, a home, a house, responsibility. Uh, I started using more and more. You know, I was dealing to keep supplying my own habit, and uh, she was getting more and more uh, concerned. Uh, one night, you know, we got into an argument, and uh, as far as my rage and my anger, it was kind of like a volcano that erupted. Uh, once it started spewing, I couldn't stop, I couldn't control it. And I began to smash things in our home. I don't know how long it lasted. It lasted quite a while. And we both left, and I came home, and I, for the first time, I, I saw the fallout. And I think for the first time in my life, I realized that I didn't like the monster that I had become. And at that point, I just said I'd be better off if everybody would be better off if I was not in this world. And I remember going to upstairs to our bedroom and taking the pistol and sitting there on the floor. I decided I was going to end my life. And I couldn't do it. And I thought, what a failure I am. Later on that evening, I made some phone calls. And the next day, I was on my way to Bethany Rehabilitation Center for drugs and alcohol. And you know, it was wanting so bad to change, but not knowing if it was even possible. And during that time frame, uh, my wife, Laura, we had been talking to Pastor Jay Molino from Bridgewater. She surrendered her life to the Lord, and she informed me that maybe I should talk to Jay. And Jay came down to see me. I was surprised because, you know, he didn't even know me. I'm sure he knew my story, and I was thinking, why would someone want to come and talk to, especially a pastor, come and talk to someone like me? But he did, and he led me to the Lord. And I wasn't sure, not, not surrendering and not, not admitting that I was a sinner and that I needed help. I knew that. What I struggled with was just turning my life over to the Lord, you know, to surrender. And he shared the verse in Revelations about, here I stand knocking at your door. If anyone opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him. And I was hesitant to just throw the door open. And Jay said, if you only open it just a little bit, that's all you need. And I was okay with that. Just open it a little bit because I was so unsure. And so when I left the rehab, I came to Bridgewater because I felt I owed Jay that much. And uh, when I walked through the door, him and his wife stood there. He just, uh, he just grabbed a hold of me and gave me a bear hug. I think my feet came up off the floor. And as I w walked in, the warm a friendly greeting from the people of the church just blew me away. Never expected that. But I still had a lot of struggles in my life. I still struggle with anger, still struggle with dealing with my feelings. And I just figured that's the way it's always going to be. I'm never going to get rid of my anger. And uh, over time, you know, going through Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery actually put me on the road to of healing. Scripture says that if 
I'm not willing to forgive. God won't forgive me. The unforgiveness, the bitterness and the anger inside of me was really destroying everything around me. And I'll be honest, I didn't want to forgive. I had no desire to forgive the man who abused me. But as I spent time in recovery, I began to realize that I was no better off than the people that abused me. I was no different. People that I had hurt, I didn't care how bad I, badly I hurt them, how it was going to impact them, how it may have altered their lives. I didn't care. Christ took everything, all my sin, I took it to the cross. He showered me with his grace, his love, and his mercy. And for me to be like him, I had to do the same. And I truly did forgive the man who abused me. And it was like a ton of a weight lifted off my shoulders. As I began to um, do these things, healing started to, to happen more and more. Anger started to dissolve more and more. I no longer want to be in control. I still find myself trying to take control at times. And I can say now that I'm more committed, more in love with my wife now than the day we got married. Been some struggles, but stay committed in our, in our love and our relationship with the Lord. And uh, finally put all my past behind me to deal with my past, to accept my past. And now I'm looking forward to uh, what God has in store for me now. Yeah, that's amazing. Terry's been sober for over 30 years now. God's done an incredible work in his life. And I just want to end with this last verse. Um, fast forward. Nope, back, back one. Back one. No? All right. Let's see if I can find it before you. Sword drill. There it is. You're quicker than me. All right. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Past tense. You were a drunkard. You were an addict. You were. But you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You were that person. If you've placed your faith in Christ, that is not your identity. Your identity is not, I'm an addict. Your identity is not, I'm a sinner. Your identity is not, I'm a failure. Your identity is, I am washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of Christ. Let me pray with you as we move towards the end. Father, it is amazing that you bring sinners like us 
into the kingdom and you call us sons and daughters. It's amazing that you transform lives. People like Terry, you've brought them not only out of the darkness, but you have set them free of these sins and habits and addictions. God, I know there's people here who are struggling. They don't want to say a word. They're embarrassed. They're ashamed. They think if, if people knew what was really going on, they really wouldn't be accepted or, or loved, and that's not true at all. Father, we know that freedom is possible. We know it is hard. It is difficult. And it's one step at a time. And I'm praying for every single person here that they would take that first step and that next step on shining the light on darkness, that we would not live in that darkness, but we would live in the light. Pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness to do just that. In Christ's name we pray.